Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts, especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributors. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, Bartimaeus jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Once upon a time, a group of marmots sat together on a rocky ledge. It was a beautiful evening. The sun was sinking low behind the western hills. All the clouds were drenched in pink and gold. The marmots were content. They talked about things that mattered. They spoke about the delicate flavor of mountain flowers and the satisfying fragrance of the earth after a rain. One of the marmots sighed, we're very lucky to be marmots. It could hardly be denied. They were very lucky indeed. Among marmots, it is well known that nothing is better than the ground. The ground is alive with textures and aromas and places to hide and good things to eat, and no creature is better equipped for life on the ground. A second marmot said, don't you feel sorry for all those mammals with long legs? They have their bellies up in the sky. It's so sad. The third and final marmot said, don't you feel sorry for birds? They spend most of their lives in the empty air. When they stop flying, they come to rest on a tree, way up in a tree. All the marmots shook their heads. There was a somber moment to acknowledge the tragedy of bird life. <laughs> then the first marmot said, I also feel sorry for mice. The second marmot asked, really? 
Why do you feel sorry for mice? They're a bit scrawny, I'll grant you that, but they live on the ground. They eat well enough. That's what I'm saying, interjected the first marmot. Mice are very sympathetic creatures. I have empathy for mice. You have empathy, echoed the third marmot. That's right, affirmed the first. I have empathy for mice. You know, those little guys get eaten by birds. And it's not just hawks and owls. I know what mouse that was eaten by a blue jay. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I have empathy for those little mice. I think we should try to help them out. I get it, said the second marmot. Those mice are at the lowest rung of the food chain. It's a crying shame. Okay, said the third marmot with a shrug. Time for a little empathy. The next day, after breakfast, our trio of marmots went looking for a mouse. After a bit of searching, they found one. The little creature was at the edge of a large meadow nibbling on seeds. The mouse was keeping constant vigilance. It looked up to the sky. It peered deep into the shadows of the forest. It sniffed the wind for signs of danger. Warily, the mouse watched the three marmots approach. The first marmot called, hey, little cousin, always nice to see a mouse. We want you to know we support you 100%. We're here for you, agreed the second marmot. Three cheers for the mouse, said the third marmot. And all three marmots cried, hip, hip, hooray, hip, hip, hooray, hip, hip, hooray. Just then, a kestrel <laughs> descended from the sky. Its talons were spread wide, and it dove straight for the mouse. Unbelievably, the mouse caught a glimpse of the movement. At the very last second, it sprang to one side. The little creature ran for cover. All the marmots followed close behind, shouting, Dig! Go under the ground! Dig, little mouse, dig! The kestrel was quick to recover. It twisted through the sky and launched into another dive, and this time, it caught the mouse. Sometimes that is the way of things. The kestrel was very happy. The marmots, however, were upset. The first marmot said, That was terrible! What a stupid mouse! The second marmot agreed. Why did it run? It should have gone underground. That much is obvious, murmured the third marmot. Maybe its brain was underdeveloped. Maybe it was defective in some way. The marmots decided to look for another, less foolish mouse. Meanwhile, the kestrel landed on the branch of a dead tree. The tree had died years ago, but it stood taller than the surrounding forest. In the sunlight, the old tree was as white as a ghost. Another kestrel was perched nearby. The first kestrel said, you will never believe what just happened to me. Of course, the second kestrel replied, really, what happened? Well, I went looking for mice over by the big meadow. I saw three marmots. They were all directing my attention to this one mouse. <laughs> they kept following it and pointing and shouting. 
It was the sweetest thing. <laughs> I need to see this for myself, said the second kestrel, and the little raptor leapt skyward. A short time later, the second raptor saw three marmots. Sure enough, they were crowded around a mouse. The three marmots were like a giant arrow pointing toward lunch. The second kestrel drove from the sky. It made short work of the mouse, and then it flew back to the ghostly snag that rose above the surrounding forest. You were right, the second kestrel informed the first. It was just exactly like you said. You know, I really like those marmots, said the first kestrel. They went out of their way to help us. They were very generous, said the second kestrel. You know what I feel? asked the first kestrel. I feel empathy. <laughs> I feel a deep connection to those marmots. I, I want to do something for them. You're talking about a gesture of friendship, suggested the second kestrel. Something like that, agreed the first. I have these warm feelings inside of me, and I, I want to do something nice for those marmots. Let's go take a look. Maybe we can think of something we can do to return the favor. With their keen eyes, the raptors found the marmots quite easily, but they weren't sure about what to do next. The two kestrels circled overhead, thinking about how they might act on the empathy in their hearts. About this time, a passing coyote noticed the kestrels turning slow circles in the sky. <laughs> the coyote went to investigate. Ah, said the coyote, those little falcons are helping me find my dinner. They've led me right to three juicy marmots. Isn't that just the sweetest thing? <laughs> Empathy can be dangerous. <laughs> I was taught to think of empathy as an exercise of the imagination. Empathy is a prompt towards questions like, if I were in that situation, how would I feel? If that happened to me, what kind of help would I want? Empathy is a way of projecting our imagination into someone else's experience or situation. But empathy is not the same as listening. Using our imagination is not the same as actually asking someone else, how do you feel? What kind of help do you need? What is this situation like for you? Our imagination can never take the place of someone else's lived experience. In fact, replacing someone else's voice with a projection of our imagination can be a way of erasing them. We can look at someone and only see what we imagine. Real people and their experience can be hidden behind that. We can actually get frustrated with someone for not solving the problem in the way that we would solve the problem. We can get frustrated if they don't live up to what we imagine is possible for them. 
Do you see how projecting our imagination onto others can be a way of erasing them? If we want to know what life is like for someone else, then we have to ask them. We have to ask. Empathy isn't a bad thing, but we must see it as a first step. After we engage our imagination, we need to engage our curiosity. We need the humility to listen for what we don't understand and what we can't even imagine. We need to do the work of listening. We think of Jesus as very empathetic, and he asked a million questions. Who do you say I am? Why are you so afraid? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Who touched my clothes? What do you want me to do for you? Friends, do you find the Spirit is using empathy in your heart to draw you to something in particular? Pay attention, and then let us go deeper. What are the questions you should be asking? Whose voice do you need to hear so that you have something more than your imagination as you do the work to which the Spirit has called you?